Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love. And it's one of those, he looks into her eyes and she looks into his and they just know and it's beautiful. Sex. I was so turned on by the scene that I actually came. And relationships. Sometimes it just feels right. Here in the heart of the nation, I'm Ivana Ho. So it's kind of like massage and everything but full sex. That's Cassandra. She shares a few similarities with Moxie from episode 9. She's 23, a university student, and she works in the sex industry. So everything else you can get there, but we don't do the full service stuff. She's talking there about the erotic massage parlour Chrysindis, where she started working seven months ago. Seven months ago, Cassandra stopped seeking new clients in the other profession she's engaged in, escorting, but she continues to see her regulars. Cassandra began working as an escort when she was 20. I had been working at McDonald's probably for about four years since I got back from an exchange trip that I went on and, you know, needed money as a young adult. I kind of, you know, turned 20 pretty much on my birthday and quit that job just because I was so sick of working there and it was just so dreadful. And I got into sex work less than a week later because I realised that I was actually less embarrassed to be a sex worker than I was to say I was 20 and working at McDonald's. (laughs) When I asked Cassandra what was so embarrassing about working at McDonald's, she said that there is just as much stigma with being a 20-year-old low-paid fast food worker as there is working in a bunch of other industries. There was the shitty shifts, the power-crazy managers, the, you know, smell of grease and oil all the time. It was just kind of dreadful. And I have a lot of respect for anyone who, like, can do those kind of service industries, but it's just not for me. So when other people quit working in fast food, their next natural step isn't usually the sex industry. So how did you come to that decision? Um, (laughs) I had actually been watching Secret Diary of a Call Girl at the time. I had always considered, like, prostitution as something that kind of looked like a bit of fun. Like, I come from a very sex-positive environment, so sex never held that kind of stigma for me. Um, my first few lovers were just that. They were lovers, not boyfriends or girlfriends. They were people who I cared about, but there was no kind of relationship going on there. So I was quite casual with sex anyway, and it was like, I can have sex, have fun, and get paid for it, and get paid a decent amount of money. And to a 20-year-old, it was a lot of money, (laughs) particularly a 20-year-old who was still living at home and didn't have to worry about bills or anything. Being able to earn $250 plus an hour is a fantastic amount of money. So yeah, I just kind of moved into it. It looked like a good idea at the time. It looked like a bit of fun. I thought, what was the worst that could happen, you know? (laughs) Luckily, that hasn't, but, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly shows like Secret Diary of a Cool Girl and things like The Girlfriend Experience, they tend to paint escorting as being sort of glamorous work. But of course, there are also lots of other media depictions of sex workers, you know, where they depict sort of the gritty side of that. And there's a lot of violence and the potential for rape and all the rest of it. So were you concerned about those aspects? I was definitely, like, thinking back to it, yes, there was definitely a part of me that was worried. My first year, probably, of escorting, every time I walked into someone's house or an apartment or something, there was part of me that, like, was freaking out a little bit, you know. Am I going to be safe? Am I going to be okay? Is there going to be a cop? You know, all those kind of random things that go through your mind. But I'm also really lucky that I'm six foot tall. I'm a size 16. I used to be a kickboxer. I've got a lot of, like, strength. And I play on that and I play on the fact that I'm well-educated and that I've lived in a number of countries. So along with charging a little bit above the average going rate, that was kind of like my safety net. Also, if I ever got a client who seemed just a little bit off or anything, then I would mention the fact that I needed his address in advance so I could tell my driver. And the number of clients who just stopped talking to you full stop as soon as you said that. I might have lost some decent clients by saying that, but I feel like I probably lost a lot more dodgy ones by simply saying there was some someone else involved. You know? And just, like, a driver isn't particularly threatening. I decided to go with that over, like, a security guard or something, so it wasn't threatening. But, yeah, it was just one of these things. And so I kind of had a lot of these things in places. I had very strict things I would and wouldn't do. I would go to a private home or I would go to... Uh, hotel, motel, etc, cetera, etc cetera, but I'd never meet someone in a park or in their car or any of those kind of things. Um, I always arranged my own transport and I also had my best friend who I like to call him my safety pimp he wasn't my driver um, at the time he couldn't drive <laughs> but I would send him a message with all the details I had beforehand. He also had the login details to my email account and things like that and if I didn't respond within a certain time after the booking was meant to end With an emoticon, like, in the message, he would go through a series of steps, including calling my partner to make sure I hadn't just gone home and forgotten. Um, Because he was my best friend, he could call my parents without it seeming unusual. And so there were kind of those safety things in place as well that could look after me a bit better. I wondered whether anyone showed Cassandra how to go about it all when she was first starting out at the age of 20 whether she had someone to tell her what to be careful of. And she said that she didn't, that she worked through it all herself, with the help of the internet. I googled. I found uh, Cracker, which is where a lot of girls advertise themselves. It's like classifieds on the internet. Backpage is another one. And I just put up a thing and went for it. Like, I didn't know anyone in the industry. I didn't know anyone who had been in the industry. I did it completely off my own back. As I said, I did a fair bit of Googling. Probably not as much as I feel like I should have, considering I hadn't even heard of groups like SWAP, which is the Sex Worker Outreach Program and things. But I also come from a medical background, so I've got some information on just the medical safety side of it, so I didn't need to worry too much about that. You know, as I said, I came from quite a quite sexual liberated background so I didn't have to worry too much about that it was just those little bits and pieces in between but yeah I really didn't do all that much on it and I certainly didn't have anyone showing me around um I did mention it to my mother at one point 
I was watching Secret Diary of a Call Girl with my mother at the time, and it's like, yeah, I can totally do this. Like, this sounds like a great job for me. You know, I would love to do this. And she was giving me all of the reasons why you shouldn't. It won't be that glamorous. People die. People get beaten up. Think about your future. Think about your career. You won't make that much money. Do you really think this is the right idea? It's not the kind of thing we do. Like, it was all coming from a good place, and I think I did need to hear it, so I thought about it. But <laughs> she basically finished the conversation with, Look, I know that once you've set your mind to something, there's absolutely nothing anyone can do to change it, but I don't want to hear about it anymore. And I kind of took that as permission, just so long as I didn't mention it ever again. <laughs> What do you remember about the first job that you took? Uh, first job I took was in Queenbian. I think he spoke the, a total of five words to me. He was actually on the autistic spectrum, and he told me this in an email beforehand because I work almost entirely by email rather than phone or anything like that. I feel like it gives me a better sense of a person and it also allows me to think about my responses before sending them off and do them on my own time rather than worrying about a call halfway through dinner with my parents. So yeah, he had told me this, but it was just such an uncomfortable booking. Because, <laughs> you know, he, he barely looked at me, he didn't say anything, we got there and I left. And it was just like, that was weird, okay, fair enough. Yeah, and then it just kind of kept going from there. And then I started getting some, you know, businessmen and things like that. And most of the time they were lovely, you know, you might get offered a glass of wine or something like that. Um, because I was on my piece at the time, I never drank at a booking. But, you know, it was just really normal. They almost all work exactly the same way. Um, yeah. Mm. So with those clients then, is it the case that they sort of tell you what they would like in their initial email contact? Or? Um, well, normally they'll, they'll contact me and go, hi, can you tell me some, a bit about yourself? And, or can you tell me your prices? What do you include? And then I'll send them back and... They'll let me know if there's anything specific that they want. I'll push them to tell me if they want anything kinky or BDSM related. But most of the time, you know, here is my block thing. It includes things like oral. It obviously includes sex, fingering, kissing, touching. I'm a trained masseuse, so it includes that. And then it's basically done by time. If you want anything on top of that, then we make a discussion. But I'm pretty slack as far as everything goes with my extras. It's just all kind of in that base price. And most of the time, the guys all take advantage of anything in the base price. So, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, you do get some who will then send you, well, do you do this kind of thing? Or can you dress this kind of way? Or have you ever tried this? So that's when you get some of the more unusual ones. Some of those I'll charge extra for. Some of them I won't. It just depends on, A, how I feel about whatever it is. B, whether I need to buy anything else or if it takes me a lot of effort to do it. And then see how polite they've been in their emails. <laughs> For any of the clients, have they? has it clearly been like their first time with a sex worker? Yeah, yeah. I've had quite a few who it's definitely... Who, a, quite a few who've definitely told me it's their first time. And most of those you believe, just because they're very awkward when you arrive. Often young men, so under 25. Sometimes older men, like, you know, 50, 60 plus often their wife's just died or their partner is very sick, something along those lines. Yeah, some of the time they can just be so awkward that they can't even, you know, you'll get 
20 minutes into a booking and they're just like, no, I can't do this. And when those ones happen, I usually give them some of their money back. You know, I if they're booked for an hour, normally, even if they only take 45 minutes, they still pay for the hour. But if it's a case of they're just too nervous, I'll usually bring it down a little bit. But yeah, you do get quite a few first timers or guys who are just so nervous about it that it's really adorable. <laughs> I was curious about whether Cassandra's clients have partners, be it in Canberra or if they're travelling for work, whatever city it is that they call home. Cassandra said that while she never directly asks her clients if they have wives, girlfriends or kids, they wind up mentioning them in the course of talking about their lives. I think that's definitely a grey area of the morality of sex work. The way I've always justified it to myself is if you're paying a a sex worker or a prostitute or whatever you want to call us for sex, it's a transaction. It is a definite physical reprocreation for sex. It's like going out to a nice restaurant to get a better meal than what your wife can cook or, you know, your wife isn't around, so, you know, you decide to go out. Whatever it happens to be. So it's one for one. There's no love involved. There's no emotion. There's none of that. And there's no chance of falling in love either. I know that that can sound a little bit callous, but that's the way I kind of think about it is I'd much rather someone cheat on me by going to a sex work where it's just physical. They get their needs because for whatever reason, I can't give it to them. Then they go out and find, you know, the secretary at the office or a girlfriend at a bar or something like that. And then everything that comes along with that. So that's kind of how I've thought about it. Have many of your clients told you why it is that they've sought your services? Some of them do. Some of them, it's just the, you know, they're traveling a lot. Some of them, as I said, it's the ill, sick, disabled wife, whatever, um, dead. Some of them, it's the young factor. You know, they want a young woman rather than their 40-year-old partner. Um, Sometimes they want something very specific that they don't feel comfortable talking to their partner about or their partner's told them they're not interested in. It's everyone's got their own reason for going to a sex worker. I think that a lot of the time it's just that case of they want something a little bit different. They want something that's a little bit unusual or they want something new. And they'd much rather, you know, pay someone to give them exactly that than go to a bar and have to find some chick and all of that that goes with it. Mm. So, yeah, I think that most of the guys don't necessarily see it as cheating I still think it is. I wish that they were able to talk about to their wives or their partners about these things, but every relationship's different. Every relationship's got its own thing. You know, I, I do know one of the guys definitely tells his wife about me because I once got invited to tea and crumpets with them. Lovely couple, a little bit weird. She doesn't like sex, he really does, so he gets to buy a prostitute every month. <laughs> Did you take him up on his offer? For tea and crumpets? Yeah. yeah. She's great. <laughs> Nah. Uh, it was it was just one of those kind of weird things because you know often they'll tell you that their wives know it's like sure mate I don't I don't care it doesn't bother me but this was a case where I actually got invited to you know meet her and things and she was fine with it she just wanted to know that she's so glad that you know her husband's found someone he can have some fun with and he really likes me that's why he keeps coming back oh she was lovely <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Whether you're going to a strip club or after an erotic massage, there are rules. You will be asked what you want, but you will also be told what you absolutely cannot do. Here are Cassandra's do's and don'ts. I would never do anything without a condom. They can go down on me without any kind of protection because I feel like that's more of their risk so long as they don't have any ulcers or anything around their mouth, anything particularly obvious. Um, however, I won't go down on them. They can't have sex with me. Any of those things completely off limits and they know that from the get-go. The other thing I don't do is anal and that's just because I don't like it. They also can't tie me up. Um, there's very little else I don't do. There are definitely some things that I hadn't thought I would end up doing because I hadn't done them before. But I've actually had clients before who've gone, look, would you be willing to do this? And my response is, I have no problem doing that, but I don't know how to do it. So you probably should find someone else. And their reply is simply, look, I'll teach you how to do it if you're willing. This is what I'm willing to pay for. And it's like, yeah, sure. So one of those clients who I actually had for about a year, every month or so, and um, he really liked to be pegged, which means I'm wearing a strap on and um, going up his ass. And yeah, I had never done it before. I didn't know how. I Googled a bit, but you know, there's also a feel certain thing. And when someone's paying you for it, you want to be doing at least a good job of it. And yeah, so he walked me through it that first session, taught me how to do it. And then we got into quite a regular thing. And now I'd consider myself quite good at it. <laughs> so yeah, you can, you'd can you be surprised what you can learn off your clients sometimes. So you mentioned a 50-year-old client that you'd mm -hmm. had. Um, what's the oldest client that you've, that you've ever had? I think one of them's in his mid-70s. Don't know how old he is exactly, but he's up, up in the 70s ish mm. so yeah um i think that's the oldest i've ever had youngest is probably around the 20 mark maybe a little bit younger maybe a little bit on that yeah but mm. yeah so how has it been for you performing acts and being intimate with all these different types of men ranging from quite young to very old to conventionally attractive to conventionally not the attractiveness and the age thing has never really bothered me i think it does take a certain getting used to just like getting over the ick factor that we've been trained to have when you know you're dealing with someone who's quite wrinkly or liver spots or anything like that but I realized that most of that ick factor was I was expecting to have an ick factor but I didn't actually have that so that part of it doesn't bother me I've only ever had one client who I would personally call a bad client and he's just he was really pushy he was he wanted to become one of my regulars and I saw him probably three times and on the third time it was just so uncomfortable and he got himself so drunk during our meet that I just blocked him afterwards. It's just, no, I'm not putting up with this. And he was also very pushy. Like he would send me an email half an hour in the middle of the day, half an hour before he wanted me there and then wonder why I couldn't come and things like that. He was just very rude and basically just an absolute dick as a person. He was pretty, but he was an absolute jerk. And he's probably the only client I've also had trouble, for want of a better term, performing for. Yeah, even I, I have some disabled clients and some clients, as I mentioned before, who have um, autism of some degree. 
And even they're easier to deal with than just dickheads. <laughs> Have most of your other clients tended to treat you with respect? Yeah, like, as I said, the bad client, I don't think he realised what a misogynistic asshole he was. He thought that he was treating me with respect and things. He just didn't get that... But yeah, generally speaking, actually almost universally speaking, everyone else I've ever had, they've all been sober, they've all been clean, they've all been wonderfully polite. None of them have ever tried to stint me on cash or argue about my prices. Um, you know, even guys who couldn't necessarily keep it up or anything like that have never got angry at me for it. They've realised that, you know, sometimes bodies are just weird. I've never had anyone demean my work, at least not to my face. <laughs> Or anything like that. So yeah, generally speaking, almost everyone I've ever worked with has been fantastic. But once again, as I said, I do play on a very certain level of privilege of being tall, white, strong, larger, educated, all of these things. And so the guys who choose me are looking for that kind of woman. Because that's the other thing you've got to remember. Is every guy knows exactly what he wants. There is a lot of competition between sex workers, but it's less than you might think because we also know that if you're not what a guy wants, he won't pick you no matter how much you get your tits out or any of those things. You know, you could promise to do the world for him, but if you're not his girl, you're not his girl. So I think that's one of those things that, you know, because I'm a certain kind of girl, I get a certain kind of client as well. My story is definitely mine. Everyone's got their own experiences, and I know a lot of other girls who've had very different experiences to mine. So I'm sure that this is a question that you would get asked a lot or, you know, which people are always curious about. What sorts of services do people tend to ask for most regularly, and what are some of the weirder things that people <laughs> have asked for? I think definitely the common thing is just sex and a chat. If I was ever having sex with a male partner in my personal life, sex goes on for a lot longer. So when I started escorting, sex would take like 15 minutes. And I couldn't work out, like, am I just amazing? Am I fantastic? No. And one of my friends, I was talking to him about it, um, and he's like, well, you're good. But have you ever thought that these guys are guys who have been thinking about this all day and just really want to do it right now? And so, of course, it's not going to take them long. And they also don't feel the need to take a long time. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> but at the same point, you know, so that will take 15 or 20 minutes of a booking. Guys really also like being able to get me off. Like, the amount of effort they put into trying to get me off in whatever way they want. They love trying to do it. It's a it's amazing. Um, but then afterwards, they just want to have a chat. One of my regulars who I still have while working at Chris Indy's, you know, I only see him once every three months or so because he travels. And we have sex. We've broken a bed once. And then we sit in the spa and chat for the rest of the booking. And, you know, he's even extended before so that we could go and have dinner because whatever we were talking about was just he was really interested in. So yeah, there's a lot of chatting with my clients. I think a lot of a lot of men go to sex workers in the same way that a lot of women go to psychologists. And that's a weird comparison to make, but a lot of people just need someone to talk to who's going to sit there and giggle at the joke and ask them the right question and all of those kind of things. And I think that because men are so afraid about talking about themselves or their feelings and that in 
a like professional sense because it makes them weak. Whereas there's something about sex going to a, you know a whore, and it's like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm I'm fucking a young woman, and isn't that great? But I'm also going to talk about all my feelings and all the stress in my life and all of these dreadful things. And so I think a lot of them just really want to talk. Um, you do get the weird ones, the ones who have very particular fetishes that they really want done in this exact way. Everything from certain outfits. I had one guy book me overnight, and he wanted me to dress as a 1950s housewife. Very particular colours, very particular makeup. He even gave me, like, a new lipstick, because he wanted that exact lipstick. And he wanted me to cook him a roast dinner, and sit and chat with him, and then play board games. And he booked me for, like, a 12-hour period, which is a, just over a grand for an overnight. No sex. That was literally all we did. There was a little bit of kissing, and that was about it. Like, you get some weird ones. I know that sounds really normal, but, like, from a sex worker's point of view, that's a weird one. How did the roast turn out? I'm a very good cook. Like, that, that's something else entirely. I like cooking a lot, so the roast was fine. My ability to play Scrabble, not so much. <laughs> But yeah, so he had this thing that he really wanted to do, and I don't know whether it was from watching too much Mad Max or trying to bring him back to an age of his parents or something, but that's what he wanted, and that's what he got. Um, you know, I do a lot of kink work because I really enjoy it. You have some guys who... The most annoying phrase you can ever get is a little bit of kink. Or can you do just, you know, a little bit of light BDSM? Okay, what do you mean? Oh, you know, just some light BDSM. And then you're like, okay, it'll be this much. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And you go in and you start doing light BDSM because they've refused to explain what the hell they mean. And you talk them through the consent framework of BDSM and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, safe words and all of that stuff. And then you, like, start doing it and they're like, oh, no, I, I, I meant this. Okay, so, you know, maybe they won't be spanked or something. And one spanking, oh, no, that hurt too much. I'm like... <laughs> Can you work out what the hell you want? Like, send me that one porn clip that you once watched that was named Light BDSM so I know exactly what you're after here, mate. Um, yeah, that's always the most frustrating one because it just happens all the time. It's like, I love doing BDSM scenes. And I don't care how you want to explain it to me. If you want to send me an erotica, if you want to send me a porn clip, if you want to send me a bunch of pictures of toys that you're really interested on in trying out... Just never, ever send an escort light BDSM because it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I've had anything else too weird. They've definitely, like, I've heard stories about weird ones. At Chris Indies, we get some weird ones coming through every once in a while. You know, just stories that you'll get in the back room. It's always the ones who look really normal who end up having the really weird stories. Usually because they know they have a really weird thing that they want to do in the back room. And <laughs> so they're like all prim, proper, and then straight to the dirty stuff. But um, yeah, generally speaking, nothing weirds me out. So it's kind of hard to gauge where weird sits. You mentioned that for about 12 hours, you earned around a grand. Yep. So... What was your going rate back when you were taking on new clients? Yeah, so when I first started, it was 150 for the half hour and 250 for the hour. That's now gone up to 200 and 350. Inflation's a wonderful thing. 
depending on what extras you wanted on top of what my base was and let's be honest my base pretty much covered anything so it was only if you were after something kinky or something that involved me going out and buying a new costume or anything along those lines like when I was doing the pegging on the guy that was way back when and he was offering me 500 an hour for it so you know um yeah so that's that was my base riot when I was working independently people always go oh my god that's a lot of money and it is, but you've also got to remember how irregular a lot of that work can be and the fact that you're then paying for everything on top of it. Um, I pay tax. A lot of girls don't, but I do, which means I get to claim a lot of my expenses back on tax. But if you're working and you know, you're not paying tax for whatever reason, then you're paying for all of these things as well that go with it, you know, from the lingerie and the clothing and the heels and the makeup, which can come to quite a high amount of money after a while so yeah and it's also a really irregular market you're never entirely sure how many jobs you're gonna get I used to do two-ish a week so that's 500 bucks a week if I get two-hour jobs but right now I know the industry is quite dry it's quite slow there's not a lot going out there there's a lot of competition and not a lot of people buying Canberra is just slowing down at the moment so it can be a bit problematic from that point of view, you know. You might only get one job a week, which then just covers rent. So it's a little bit complicated. So we've heard that Cassandra's clients treat her with respect. There are also a lot of people outside of Cassandra's orbit who don't think that word applies to the work that she does. These are people who have problems with sex work and with sex workers. I asked Cassandra what her view is on all this. I definitely consider myself a feminist. I can see the inherent flaws in sex work. I think that there definitely needs to be a line drawn between sex work, which is consensual, and sex work, which is trafficking. A lot of times people try and conflate the two. They go, sex work encourages trafficking and trafficking sex work... I don't know how much one contributes to the other and vice versa. I'm sure that we have people in Canberra who are trafficked. And I think that is abhorrent and dreadful. And I don't know how to fix that, but I think it needs to be done. However, I love my job. I enjoy it. I'm passionate about it. I hope to continue doing it for quite a while yet. It's not just a money grab for me. It's actually something I really enjoy doing. And... My biggest issue that I have with a lot of people who talk against sex work isn't when they go, oh, but could there be a correlation between sex work and trafficking? Because that's also a concern that I've got. I'm never entirely sure how much my choices play into this external matrix that I can't control. My issue is when they go, oh, but, you know, women do it because they're financially coerced into it. You know, that that idea of, yes, you chose to do it, but you're doing it for the money. And if your issue is with that, but your issue isn't with someone cleaning toilets for $20 an hour, or, I don't know, working in a factory for the same amount, or, you know, McDonald's for even less, then right then you've got a morality issue. But the issue here is with capitalism. It's with the fact that, yes, there are a lot of single mothers and young women who don't have other career prospects in the sex industry who've, technically speaking, chosen to be there. But they need money to survive. And they're doing sex work because you don't need any particular skills, at least no training in it. 
and you can make a lot of money, potentially. But that's an issue with capitalism as well. It's a case of we're getting paid because we need to be paid and men are willing to pay for it. So I think that if you're saying, I disagree with this industry because it's about sex, you've got to look at it from the morality side. You've got a morality issue, that's fine, there's nothing I can do about that, but your morality and my morality are different things. If you're going, but they're doing it because of financial coercion, so is anybody working at McDonald's. No one's ever met a five-year-old whose lifelong goal is to work at McDonald's. No one's ever met a five-year-old who wants to be a cleaner or work in a coal mine. <laughs> or, you know, drive a giant coal truck for a hundred thousand grand a year, which we just saw in the mining boom. So it's, that's an issue with capitalism. It's the fact that you've got to sometimes work these menial jobs to make anything. So I think there's that issue there as well that you've got to work out where your issue is coming from before you start berating other people for it. And you've also got to sometimes accept that other people have a different view on it to you. Um, yeah, like there's nothing I can really do to change anyone else's mind except tell my story and tell the reasons why I do it. But I would wish that people would keep a little bit more of their opinions to themselves unless they've actually been involved in it or understand how it works. And they do really need to acknowledge that if they're not fighting against minimum wage jobs or, you know, other jobs that really impact your health or put you at greater risk, then they probably shouldn't be attacking ads all the time. But what about the concept of, like, you know, the way that people describe it as, like, selling your body and all the derogatory terms that they might use? Once again, what's the difference between me selling my body having safe, consensual sex and a man selling his lungs in a coal mine and getting black lung by the end of it. My grandfather died of black lung. Just saying. <laughs> mm. um, or, you know, what's the difference between me selling my body to a single man in a hotel room and a model selling her body on a catwalk? Like, we're all selling our bodies. And I think, I think that's just so patronising to think that you're only selling your body as well. Because I'm not. I'm also selling my mind and my abilities to talk about things. Like, we've already talked about the fact that I play on my intellectualness and get a very certain kind of client who wants to talk about politics. Number of political aides I've had in this, <laughs> in this city who just wanted to talk about, like, the latest political thing to someone who they're basically paying to talk to. I'm being paid for that as much as my body. I'm not conventionally beautiful, and I know that. But I still get enough clients that it doesn't matter. You know... A model selling her body on the catwalk, but she's also selling her marketing abilities and her ability to sell herself and her personality and all these things through that. A chef is selling his hands and his ability to taste and recognize food compounds, as well as all the training he's had to work out how long it takes to cook a bit of meat. We're all selling our bodies and we're all selling our minds, and I don't think any job is singularly so, except possibly sport, but we don't. You know, look at how many brain injuries and things come out of sport. But we don't say that they're selling their bodies. We're saying that they're elite athletes who've worked really hard to get to this level and learn how to move their legs in a really fast manner. So, you know, there's all of these hypocrisies around it and I think it's just ridiculous.
I mentioned at the top of the show that seven months ago, Cassandra stopped taking new escorting clients and that she started working at Chrisindy's. Here's what happened. I went overseas last year on exchange as part of my university degree. When I came back, you know, you lose most of your regulars, but I also noticed that there was very little going in the Canberra scene. Instead of getting two to five clients a week, which is at least what I was getting offered before, I was getting about that number a month, if I was lucky. So yeah, just all of these people had disappeared from the market. My regulars were also gone, so I didn't have that safety net. And I still wanted to keep working in this industry because it was fun. I had a friend who happened to work at Chris Indy. She said it was a really good environment, so I came along, checked it out. I'm a trained masseuse, so it was an added bonus. I already knew how to work with that. And yeah, I just kind of stayed up there. It's still slow at Chris Indy's, but at least it's, you know, you go in for a six-hour shift. And from my point of view, at least, even if I only get one client in that time, I do make a lot less money, but I can spend the rest of the time working on university work or anything else that I want to do compared to constantly having to keep my books updated and all the website work and things like that that you have to do if you're selling yourself, basically. And you also work at a bank alongside Prisindi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, right when I started, because I hadn't worked out how to sort out the tax thing, I got myself a second job at a bank. It was just, you know, weekend work, not a lot. But um, I used to call it my taxable income, or I now call it my explainable income. So whenever anyone goes, how are you affording to go overseas so often, or how are you affording to do this? Oh, you know, I'm just really good at saving and I work at a bank, so, you know. They go together well. Um, now that I'm paying tax, you know, it just all kind of builds up on itself. But it's a good way to explain it to people who you don't want to open anything up to. And it also, from a business perspective, you know, if I get end of university and I'm applying for another job, it's good to see something on your book, uh, on your resume that, yes, yeah, she's been working all through university rather than this large amount of time where I haven't been and, yeah. Because, let's be honest, I'm not putting sex work on my resume most of the time. <laughs> From the other girls that you've met in Canberra who are also mm-hmm. in sex work, what have been some of their reasons for doing sex work? There's as many reasons for doing sex work as I know doing an arts degree. Everyone's got their own motives for it. Um, there are some single mums, there are some young women who don't have university degrees or didn't fit well into the education system. There are young women who think of it as more of an art form than sex work. There are some young women who like the BDSM side of it and being able to top and do that kind of work. There are some young women who are just going through a rough patch at the moment. You know, you've got some who are angry at an ex-boyfriend. You've got a 100,000 reasons in there to do it. But most of us are just doing it because we actually enjoy the work and because it pays. And yeah, so, you know, you get into it because it pays well and you stay because you realize actually this is kind of enjoyable. It's better than being a checkout chick. People are actually more respectful than, you know, when I was working anywhere else. No one's grabbed my ass today. Whereas when I was a waitress, people grabbed my ass every day. It's it's really funny how it can actually be a lot better for your health than a lot of other workplaces you get a lot more control over it as well you can choose your shifts a lot more flexibly so if you are a single mum or 
a young mother of any variety, then, you know, you can work out when your shifts are and your mum can take the kids or a friend can look after your kid. And you can cancel a shift a lot easier than if you were, say, at a restaurant or something where you're more likely to get fired. So before we were talking about the other girls that you've met who uh, are doing sex work here in Canberra and the myriad reasons why they do it, from what you have encountered, from, from the people who you have encountered and what you've seen and so forth, are far fewer girls doing it in order to, like, feed a drug habit or, you know, because they don't have too many marketable skills. You know, it's just the typical reasons that people might think. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's feeding any kind of habits. I could be wrong about that. Um, but as to my knowledge, I haven't ever met anyone. But I also haven't engaged with, you know, the entirety of the community in Canberra. So from the, you know, couple of dozen people I know, I don't think so. Christindy's where I work is very drug free. You would be kicked out on the spot if they found you with drugs in the premise. But I don't think it's just a case of not having marketable skills. You know, we have plenty of university workers in sex work in Canberra. But I think it's also about how much money you could earn with the skills you have and things like that as well. So if you're a university student, then you're quite intelligent, you're hardworking, you've got all these things, but you're also low on time. So to be able to earn enough money to pay your rent that week, buy food, buy the $700 textbook you know you've got coming up next semester, and still have enough time to study and get good grades, you need a job that can make you a decent chunk of money in a very short period of time. And let's be honest, there are very few of those out there that you could really do. You know, I can work an entire day, you know, an eight-hour shift at the bank, and I make less than I used to make for a one-hour of escorting. So... I think that's definitely a consideration people make. I don't think you're able to do this work. Well, you probably are, but I think it would be quite hard to do this work if you really detested sex or sex work or any of those things. If you really had an issue with it internally, I don't think you could do it or at least not do it for very long. There are plenty of people who come to Chris Indy's work one or two shifts and then we never see them again. I don't know their reasons for leaving, but it could be just something as simple as actually this is too weird or too awkward or I, I'm not comfortable with it, so they don't come back, even if they've made 500 bucks in a night. So I don't think the money's the be-all and end-all, but I think you do have to have a certain affinity for sex. Um, you've got to have a certain affinity for other people. Yeah, it's, it, like, as I said before, it's really complex and complicated why anyone would get into it, why anyone stays into it, and everyone's got their own reason. So you said that you've only met around a dozen other sex workers here in Canberra? Uh, give or take, maybe up to 30, but not all that many. I've got quite a few friends who are in it in some variety. It also depends on what you classify sex work as. Because if you're part of the sex industry, that includes anyone from someone who works at a sex store to someone who's doing camming or something online, any stripper, uh, escort a dominatrix, an erotic masseuse, so it's a really broad range of things too. Um, but escorts per se? Escorts per se? Probably only 10 or so. Like, because I worked independently for so long, I never actually, like, throughout that period of time, I didn't meet anyone. 
until probably about a year, a year ago or so. So six months before I quit escorting. Um, yeah, you know, you just don't come across each other all that often. I have a couple of friends now who do it. One or two of them have probably got involved in sex work because, well, not because of me, but, you know, hearing my story and things like that has opened that door for them in a way. I don't, I haven't ever really encouraged anyone to get in, but if someone's turned to me and gone, I think I might like to get involved in this, I would definitely have a sit down with them and go, okay, entirely your choice. Here are the things to remember. Here are the goods. Here are the bads. Your choice. Mm. So of the several escorts that you know who work here in Canberra, have any of them told you any about any horror stories, any encounters of violence or, you know, just being utterly mistreated? Not particularly. You know, I have a friend who's been raped, but that happened quite a few years ago and that was while she was working. Um, I've had people who've had their boundaries pushed. I do have one friend who was working at a brothel and... The manager would, like, test girls out every so often and threaten to fire you if you didn't sleep with him so we could make sure your skills were still up to scratch. She quit there pretty quickly. So, yeah, there are horror stories. But, yeah, I think that they're a lot more far between than people realise they are. Most of the time. Some of the time. I don't know. It's kind of hard to talk from that point of view because, you know... There's so many different stories that everyone's had. Everyone's got their own experience of this that it's kind of hard for me to talk about someone else's story. But I definitely think that we don't die anywhere near as often as CSI likes to make us look like we do. (laughs) So across the four years when when you have been regularly Mm -hmm. and now irregularly doing escort work, how many men do you think that you've slept with? Mm. I'm probably over the 100 mark. I'm definitely over the 100 mark. I think I reached 100 when I was was in February last year. Just as like a general calculation. I don't really keep track of them, but that includes women as well. So just men, probably 120, 130-ish, but I couldn't tell you for certain. All up, probably closer to the 200 mark. And you said before that a lot of clients just like to talk in addition to having some physical attention. Did any of them ever try to persuade you to not do sex work? No. Or did they try to understand your reasons for doing it or anything like that? Some some of them would ask me how I got into this, just like I'd ask them how they, you know, got to Canberra if we were in a hotel room or something, you know. A little bit of curiosity. I think some of them... Some of them definitely cared about why I was doing it. You know, they wanted to make sure I wasn't doing it for drugs or something like that. Like, you know, they're they're human beings. They want to make sure I'm doing it for good reasons as much as they're trying to do it for good reasons, I suppose. Yeah, but I've never really had anyone try and persuade me out of it or even suggest something like that. I've had, I think I had one client once ask me if I was intending on doing this for long. I was like, I oh, know, until I get bored of it, I guess. But yeah, no one's ever convinced, tried to convince me otherwise. No one's ever asked me if I'm throwing my life away. No one's asked, ever asked me, oh, why don't you get a good boy and settle down? Like, I think it would just be a little bit too hypocritical of them. <laughs>
You mentioned that back when you were 20 and watching Secret Diary of a Call Girl with your mother that, you know, you sort of joked about getting into sex work um, or doing escorting. When was it that you actually told your mother and your father that you were doing that work? Technically speaking, I never did. Um, When I started working at Chris Indies, I started working with a good friend of mine who is also the daughter of one of my parents' friends. And she's told her parents what she does quite openly. And at some point, they must have told my parents what she was doing. Because at one point, I came home and just, I hadn't even thought about it. But I said, oh, yeah, I've got to go to work tonight. I won't be home for, yeah, I won't be able to stay late for dinner. And my mother was like, what work are you going to at 7 p.m. on a Monday night? And I'm like, oh, I... I I work as a masseuse now, just, you know, every once in a while. And she's like, oh, okay. Whereabouts? Oh, you know, I work with the friend. um, Because I didn't want to say Fishwick, because that kind of gives her away straight away. And as soon as I said this friend's name, oh, you mean at the erotic massage place? And I'm like, apparently I do. (laughs) How did... Okay, well, that's the deep end, isn't it? Um, But yeah, my parents are pretty chill about it, like... They haven't commented on it pretty much past that. You know, we've had the odd Howard's work kind of conversation, but nothing major there. Um, I think my mother was never entirely against it. She was just worried about the risks and about the potential impact on my future, both of which I absolutely understand. And, you know, I still care about those quite considerably and I still work as hard as I can. And as a stupid 20-year-old, you know... It's probably good to have someone list off all the things that could go horribly, horribly wrong if I'm not careful. But yeah, I don't think they've ever really had a problem with it. My little sister, who's... what she was 18 when I was 20, so, you know, she's known about it pretty much from the beginning. Almost all of my good friends have known about it from close to the beginning and things like that. I will show up at a party, and when someone asks me what I do, I'll respond if I'm a whore. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not something I keep particularly secret. Um, I'm careful with it, mostly from a academic and future job options point of view. But I also don't particularly care if anyone finds out. And my theory has always been, if I'm honest about it, I pay tax. I do it entirely legally. So I don't need to worry about anyone ever turning around and going, well, you've been doing this illegal thing. Someone ever turns around and go, oh my god, you were a sex worker. It's like, yes, but I did it legally. You can't not give me this job for doing that. That's technically speaking illegal and discrimination because I never committed any kind of criminal act. Your issue with this is a morality issue and you can't discriminate against me, so we're good. Has anyone ever walked into Chris Indies or have you ever arrived at a booking um, on someone's doorstep of someone who you ended up realising that you knew? Um, yeah, only, only once. At Chris Indies, we're lucky because we've actually got cameras that are on the interview room. They're pretty obvious. The guys know that when they walk in, but it allows us to make sure we don't know them. Um, I've never had that problem, but once I did have a booking of a man and, you know, I showed up at his motel and turned out to be a good friend of my parents (laughs) and we kind of had a chat about how neither of us were going to mention this and all of that, but I also, it, that was one of those things I really was worried about at the beginning of, oh my god, what happens if I walk in on someone I know? And then I thought about it, it's like, if I walk in on someone I know, well, they've just booked a sex worker 
and I just happen to be the sex worker. So we've kind of, like, if if either of us is going to blackmail the other, we've both got blackmail stuff there, I suppose. What does it matter? I don't think I would ever sleep with someone I knew in a professional sense, because I think that's just blurring too many lines. Yeah, I think that would just be way too weird, and I don't think I would be willing to do it. And let's be honest, as soon as this guy worked out who I was and I worked out who he was, which happened very quickly, he didn't even try and suggest it. So I think it went two ways there. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like, yes, technically he could have blackmailed, oh my god, I'll tell your parents, and I could have gone, oh my god, I'll tell your wife. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you ever see him again in a professional context? No. no. Not a, not ever again, you know. There was a little bit of awkwardness next time we went around to theirs for dinner and, yep, we just decided to pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, yes. that, sorry, <laughs> that's what I meant, like, oh, as yeah. in, like, professionals and not, I mean, not work context. Fair enough. Yeah. Personal, yes. Yeah, no, um, personal. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen him quite regularly. Um, you know, I think I would have preferred not to know that about him, but at the same point, as I said, it doesn't bother me, it's his business. I don't know. What are you going to do? How has doing this work changed you as a person and how has it sort of shaped your ideas about sex and about people? Um, oh, that's an interesting one. I think about people, it's shown me that the world is not as much of a scary place as people like to make you think it is. I think it's shown me quite a large side of how much people really do need a certain amount of human interaction and comfort that a lot of the time we try and pretend people don't need. Like, I mean, I know, even in my long-term relationships, like, after a while, the sex does peter out and things like that. And it's not because you don't love the person for everything that they are, it's just that when you could be watching Netflix and eating pizza, it's kind of more entertaining than sex at that. You know, it takes so much less effort, and you're not going to make a mess of the sheets and all of these things. But then every so often you go to a party, it's like, there's a nice piece of ass walking over there. I could totally get on that. I really want to get on that. I know, it's just... I don't know. Like, you know, I can understand a lot more of that now and how much we need that human contact and it doesn't have to mean everything, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. And how much so many people do need that. Um, it's also shown me how much men in particular really need someone to talk to who just kind of listens to them, and that men should really start doing this with each other. Not the sex work, but just the talking. Because I think that women are a lot more socialised to be quite social, and we talk to our girlfriends and our friends, and, you know, we'll even rant at our partner whether or not they're, you know, at the men in our lives, whether or not they're listening, but we're able to talk, whereas the number of guys I know who don't, until they get either really drunk or into some kind of sexual thing, you know, after sex, even in my personal life. Guys will talk about everything. <laughs> so I wish that they would talk to each other and talk to their friends more. Not because it would, like, take out of the sex work, but because I think it would help them. Yeah, I've also noticed how unjudgy so many people are. As soon as they realise they actually know one of these people. I, I've told almost everyone in my life I'm a sex worker. I never really got a bad response from it. 
But I've also had friends who've made, like, whore jokes before. And really sex work phobic jokes and really cruel comments about it before. And just, they stop. Or at least they stop in your hearing. And I think that does say a lot about people as well. Of They'll sit there and they'll talk to you and they'll ask you some questions about it in a non-judgmental fashion. And you can just see the empathy rolling over. And that I now know a sex worker and you're my friend first and sex worker second. So these things I've been thinking or feeling. And I think that comes... I think that would happen in a whole bunch of different ways if people came into contact more, you know, whether you're a homophobe or a racist or Islamophobe or anything else. It's it's that same thing. If you actually knew a person and you thought of them as your friend first and then whatever other labels second, there's a lot less of that kind of bigotry that comes through. And just personally, I think I've got a lot more self-confidence out of it. I'm able to talk to people a lot more fluidly you know there's a certain level of myself that I've managed to grow almost out of my sex worker profile persona thing um I feel a lot more comfortable with my clothes off now (laughs) mostly because no one's ever turned around and go oh my god ew and there is still a part of your mind that thinks that every time you take off your clothes with the client is this going to be the one but it's never happened and After a while, that voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And I hate to think that, you know, some of my body issues have been erased by sex work, but they kind of have. I would never suggest going into sex work to get rid of body issues, but I think it does give you a little bit of a boost because you suddenly realize that, yes, aspects of your body are one part of who you are, definitely, but they're not the be-all and end-all. There are definitely going to be a lot of people in the world who are going to love you for some part of your body. And more than happy to pay quite a large amount of money to see that part of your body. And then there are other guys who will pay a lot more to see a part of your brain and things as well. So, yeah. So some might think that going into sex work would lead that person to becoming more cynical, but it sounds like doing it has had the opposite effect on you. No, I think some people come more cynical. Maybe it's just me, but not for me. There are definitely cynical days. There are days when you walk out and you go, what the fuck was that guy thinking? But then there are others where it's like, oh, he was just so lovely. and Or you realise that this guy just needed a friend right now. Or, you know, someone was just having a really stressful week and wanted a massage. I had a nudist come into Chris Indy's a little while ago, like a few weeks back. He didn't want any of the sexual stuff. He just wanted the central stuff. As in, he didn't even get the hand job at the end. And he was like, oh no, I'm just ticking it off my bucket list and he was the just such a lovely guy and we we're talking about some of the nude beaches down in melbourne and i was talking about my medical work and he's like oh i started off in medicine and said i didn't like the blood and guts and it took me a little while to work that out but i got there eventually and you know it was just this lovely chat with a guy who really liked taking his clothes off really wanted a massage and wanted to tick something off the bucket list <laughs> the next thing he wants to do is go hot air ballooning naked go figure um, yeah, but you know, you also get some guys who come through, like I had another guy out at Chris Indy's a little while ago who came in and he spent half the booking talking about his three-year-old daughter, he's a single dad, and talking about how since having a daughter he's found, he's kind of started to see women in a lot more hum- human light, and that was his words, and I found that really interesting that before then he'd been a bloke's bloke and you know, off with the guys, and women were from Venus and men were from Mars and all of that. But, 
like you know he loves his daughter so much and he finds so much more ability to like respect women and stuff since then blah 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 and he was telling me how you know oh what advice would you have for me to give my daughter when she gets older about sex and how to look after herself and things like that and we were chatting about it it was really great but then as soon as we got down to the sexual part of like the booking he just started calling me you know your little bitch and all of these like really derogative things oh yeah baby yeah do that yeah you fucking whore you do i'm like dude we just talked about respecting women you know I didn't mind because you know I was being paid to be there but it was just this sudden turnaround of like I do not think you realize where the hypocrisies in your own mind are and I came out of that one a little bit cynical but I was still kind of proud of him for at least listening to that first part and asking those questions about how do I teach my daughter about sex I hope he listens to that I hope he remembers that when she turns like 13 we'll see Cassandra and I had been talking for almost an hour in my friend Kimmo's studio. We'd covered a lot of ground in that time, and I'd burned through my list of questions. I asked Cassandra if she had anything else that she wanted to add. I think just a little bit more respect for sex workers. Accept that it's as much a profession, or a hobby, or an art, or anything else. It's no more exploitative than any other minimum wage job or any other underskilled job or any other damaging job. And there are so many of those out there. If you're not fighting against any of those, stop fighting against us. That decriminalization of sex work is actually one of the best things for us. It allows us to organize, it allows us to protect ourselves. If you do have issues with any of this stuff, Go out and there are some great sex worker blogs out there. Talk to a sex worker. We're not hard to find. There's lots of us. You'd be surprised how many you probably know already. Um, Yeah, just respect us a little bit. Care about us a little bit. We're humans first and our professions second. Just like everybody else. Hey guys, so I've been looking ahead to December and I'd love to hear any stories or thoughts that you have about that end of year time. For instance, if you're single like me and don't have family or aren't close to your family, I'm interested in what you're planning to do over the holidays. Or perhaps you're staring down the barrel of spending your first Christmas with your new partner and their family, and you're anxious about it. Whatever it might be, whether it's in the past or it's coming up, write to me at lovecanberrapodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked this episode, why not tell someone about the show? They don't have to be a friend. They can be a guy that you met at the opening of an art exhibition, like I did this past Friday. And you can tell them that they can subscribe to Love Canberra in iTunes, Stitcher, or their favourite podcasting app. Love Canberra is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. The theme music is by Proletur. That's P-R-O-L-E-T-E-R. Interstitial music is by Poddington Bear. On the next episode of Love Canberra,
So what are you sort of hoping out of tonight? I'm assuming you've got a list of questions as long I don't, as no. no I, I have done absolutely no preparation or planning of this. I, you know, didn't know what to expect at all. Yeah. I didn't even know what you looked like. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, cool. um, but you, did you recognise me by the photo that I had on my website? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So fairly easy to, easy to sort of pick up. The beard looked like it's been shaved. That's what I was yeah, thinking. You took yeah. that off for tonight? Yeah, I know that. It was like a three-day-old growth. It was. In that was picture, you did well. It yeah. was. It was. Um, yeah. It was the first thing that stood out. That's next time on Love Canberra. Thanks for listening.